Welcome to Hope Community Church of Hickory. We are so glad you decided to join us online. Make sure and hit the follow and notification buttons to keep up to date with all of our sermons. Here is our latest message. And we should know, Christian, that in this life, there's always a fight coming. And if we are not prepared for that fight before it comes, we are going to get beat over and over and over again. Financial troubles are going to happen. But if we have not trained and disciplined ourselves to know where our security truly comes from, we're going to get knocked down hard. Our church family knows all too well right now that we will lose loved ones at some point. Paul says we all grieve. Yet we do not grieve with those without hope. Hebrews 10.39 says, We are not of those who, uh, who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and preserve our souls. And if we have not prepared and focused on eternity, whenever that fight comes, we'll be crushed in the same way that unbelievers are. Demonic spiritual attacks will come our way whenever we begin to walk out our faith. Paul tells us that the fiery darts of the enemy are going to be shot at us. But we are, if we are not read up and prayed up, if we are not intentionally putting on the armor of God before those attacks come, we will not have the spiritual ammunition to withstand. That's why we exercise the fruit of the spirit of self-control. Now, self-control is a pretty countercultural idea nowadays because the mantra of our day and age in this generation is just be yourself. Follow your heart. Do what feels best. Whatever you think, whatever you feel, that's true for you. However, I think we can all agree that all that does is just lead to chaos and confusion. Because we as human beings, we're not prone to self-control. No, we're prone to self-destruct. <laughs> You can probably confidently agree that if you follow every single feeling and every single urge you have, your life will go to some pretty dark places. And Jesus knows that. And he wants to help save us from ourselves. That's why he never taught to find yourself. No, he said to die to yourself. And whenever we come into a new life with Christ, our old self is still trying to find ways to come back and rear its head. And Paul, that's why Paul felt it necessary to close out his list of the fruit of the Spirit with self-control. Because, you know, it takes some self-control to walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. And if we are not taking the proper practical steps to spiritually train the right way, we're going to end up getting thrown into a fight that we're not ready for. It's important for us to remember for our first point today that the Christian life is proactive, not reactive. See, in every single sport that I've ever played, all of my coaches would drive home the point that how you play in the game is a direct result for how you practice. Every coach will agree that in the long run, hard work will beat out natural talent every single time. I've heard it said private discipline leads to public victory. See, I've been on teams where the most talented athletes were not the best players on the team because they didn't put in the work. No, it's the ones who put in the work that disciplined themselves, that developed the proper habits to be the best versions of themselves that will get the most playing time and will make the greatest impact on the game. See, Paul, he relates this to the Christian life in 1 Corinthians 9 whenever he says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. 
So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, it should be noted first and foremost that we do not train and work hard in order to make the team. We don't have to worry about being cut. Whenever we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, whenever we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, we are on the team. We are eternally secure. However, too many Christians are just okay with riding the bench. And that's exactly where the enemy wants you to be, sidelined and silent. You know, the enemy has no problem with you going to church. They're fine with you going to church because that's not treading on his territory. The enemy's okay with you going to church, singing a few songs, listening to a sermon, getting in and out, as long as you don't bring that Jesus stuff onto his turf. So the enemy will creep thoughts into your mind like, you don't need to crack that Bible today. Pastor just did that on Sunday, you know, you're busy. Or, you know, you don't need to talk about that Jesus stuff at work. You know, you don't want to come off as one of those over-religious-y people, you know, you don't want to turn them off. Or you don't need to take out the time to really talk to God. You know, it's not like he's going to talk back. And besides, he knows all the things you're going to say anyway. So what's the point? Side note, that's a bit of a preview for our series that we're going to start next week, titled All Access, talking about taking full advantage of the power of prayer. But the enemy wants you to think that there's enough people out there doing this whole reaching people thing. You're busy. They're doing a good job at it. So you should just let them handle it. Too often, we're just okay with watching other Christians make an impact, and we'll cheer them on. We might even throw a little money their way to support their ministry. But we don't really buy into the fact that the only thing separating their faith from ours is just a little bit extra work. Not for their glory, but for God's and for the benefit of others. Paul says, I can preach to others all I want, but if I'm not putting in the work, if I'm not training to practice what I preach, then it's not going to make any real impact. Because what people are craving in this day and age is genuineness and authenticity. Why? Because the rest of the world is superficial and fake. That's why Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.5, he said, The aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This was like our theme verse throughout our launch process for the church plan. Because Paul says, this is our ministry strategy. These are our leadership goals. This is our church growth tactic. We aim first and foremost to love and care for the people of God from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. But you know, it takes self-control to keep your heart pure, your conscience clear, and your faith sincere. And we need to practice this self-control because game day is always around the corner and we don't necessarily have it on the schedule. Sometimes we do with mission trips, prayer walks, service days. We have Labor of Love Sunday coming up September 10th, our service days at church. We have some of those things like that on the calendar, but game day is not Sunday mornings. You know that, right? This is more like team practice right now. Most of the time, game day is going to happen at work. It's going to happen at a ball game. It's going to happen in the neighborhood. It happens whenever a conversation is struck up with an unbeliever, whenever your faith comes under attack, whenever someone you love experiences a tragedy. Are you ready to handle those situations and love in those situations with a pure heart? 
Are you ready to handle conflict in a way that would keep your conscience clear? Are you prepared to sincerely share your faith? And if you can't confidently answer yes to all or any of those questions, that's okay. Because that's why we're here together as a church family. So when we're not ready, we can get ready. Paul said, Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 15 through 17, he says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, get that, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. A huge part of self-control is being prepared. That's our next point for today. Be prepared. The first step in being prepared is honoring Christ. He is holy. He is set apart. He is first and foremost the most important person in your life. And then he says, be prepared to give a defense. Now, this does not mean we argue and debate your faith. We know that because he says to do so with gentleness and respect. And the only reason why we don't handle situations with gentleness and respect is because we're not prepared. And when we're not prepared, we're going to get rattled, we're going to get defensive, and we're going to get argumentative. And that's not going to do anybody any good. So first, we should be prepared to share your story. We should be prepared to share why we believe what we believe. What led you to becoming a Christian? Can you remember the day you gave your life to Christ? Can you remember the day you were baptized? What led you to make those decisions? If you've never, if you don't remember a day you gave your life to Christ, if you don't remember a day being baptized, that's something we can talk about. We have our connect cards in the back. You can check those boxes. You'd like to get more information about a relationship with Jesus or baptism. That's something we do to publicly display our relationship with God. And it's very important to our, our spiritual lives. So is that something you want to do? Let's talk about it. But if that's something you have done, think about those days. And if you've never done this, my encouragement, sort of my homework, I'm actually going to give you two things of homework today. I'm sorry. But um, kind of my homework for you today would be to take the time to write out your testimony. Whether it be three sentences, three paragraphs, or three pages. I don't care. Anticipate that someday soon, someone's going to find out you're a Christian and ask you why. And ask you what led you to make those decisions. And if you have taken out the time to really think through and process and write out your testimony and your story, you will be better prepared to share that story with gentleness and respect. You don't have to keep it on you and hand them a handwritten copy, you know. But when you, when you handwrite those things out, it keeps your mind ready and prepared. We've said it before. Your personal testimony is the most powerful tool for evangelism that you have in your spiritual arsenal. Because people can argue with you tooth and nail about doctrine and theology, but they cannot argue with you about your story. They can question it, but they can't argue it because it's your story and not theirs. So be prepared to share your story. Next, we should be prepared to answer biblical questions. And it's very obvious. You cannot answer biblical questions if you're not reading the Bible. <laughs> And you know, you cannot rely on Sunday mornings for your biblical intake. It will not be enough. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Remember Jesus quoting that to Satan? Can you imagine if you only ate food, solid food, once a week? 
You would not have the nutrients that you need to live a healthy life. In the same way, if you only intake the word of God one day a week, you will be very spiritually malnourished. Besides, the Holy Spirit, he wants to teach you things through the living word on a one-on-one -on -one personal level. There are things that God wants to teach you and things he wants to speak to you that he won't communicate to you in a corporate setting like this one. He doesn't want to be just that casual friend that you only hang out with in group settings. Oh, God wants a personal, one-on-one, -on -one, intimate relationship with you. Read your Bible. And sometimes it feels like a daunting task. It's one of those things that every single Christian has struggled with at some point. Just doing it, right? It's one of those things. That there's a spiritual warfare to it. But every single time you do, you feel a whole lot better about the day, don't you? Sometimes it feels like a daunting task. It feels tedious. It feels like a chore. So I don't want to do it if it just feels like a chore. Well, your mom, you still went to school, didn't you? That was a chore. <laughs> but it was important, right? <laughs> Sometimes it takes, it's hard to take out the time in our busy day to really take out the time to stop and read the Bible. And you could be thinking, you know, like a lot of it's just hard to understand so many things go over my head. There's so many versions. You know, I don't know which version I'm supposed to read. I heard a pastor say one time, you know what the best version of the Bible is? The one that you'll read. <laughs> That's the best version of the Bible. And whenever you read the Bible on your own, you are going to come across some things that you don't understand. And whenever that happens, we have a tendency just to move right on by so we can finish reading the section we wanted to read that day so we can just check off the box and move on. But that's not going to help you grow and be prepared the way we need to grow and be prepared. I've always encouraged that, that every single time you come across something in Scripture you don't understand, stop and figure it out. Imagine that someone is going to ask you the very next day about that particular passage. Will you be prepared to answer that question? Even if your reading for the day stops right there, just stop and look for the answer or at least an answer. Okay? You, you, can, you can text your pastor or your spiritual mentor. That's what we're here. Sometimes you can consult Dr. Google there. Because a lot of times that's what I do right? whenever I get those texts. GodQuestions.org is a really biblical uh, resource uh, that answers thousands of biblical questions. That, that, that's very helpful. There's BlueLetterBible.org, DesiringGod.org. There's a lot of different things that you can look at that you can just type that in and find an answer. But do the research. Put in the work so you can be better prepared to have an answer for other people and help them spiritually grow. So be prepared to answer biblical questions. And finally, be prepared for opposition. Peter says. Be prepared to be slandered. Be prepared to be reviled. Be prepared for people to talk to you like you're stupid for believing what you believe. Jesus told us to expect that. Paul said the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads people into truth, not us. So we don't have to take the pressure upon ourselves of talking people into or reasoning people into believing what we believe. All we can do is be faithful and prepared to share our faith, to share our stories, to share biblical truths, and we leave the results up to God. And whenever we are faithful in our preparation and we are content to leave the results up to God, we don't have to be offended whenever we get slandered for our faith. We know we're not the ones being rejected. It's really God's being the one that's rejected. And that should break our hearts. 
So we should be able to keep a heart of compassion like Jesus did whenever he looked over the people and he didn't see them as a bunch of unbelieving enemies. No, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. So be prepared to share your story. Be prepared to give biblical answers. Be prepared for opposition. Also in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul tells us to be prepared for temptation. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure. Many people will take this passage and, and make it mean God will never give you more than you can handle. But that is just unequivocally untrue. This life will be way more than you can handle. God will allow you to go through more than you can handle because it causes you to rely on him. Paul says you will not be tempted in any way that's not common to others. So if you're tempted with a certain sin, the Bible wants you to know that you are not the only one. There is no temptation or any sin that you have committed that is original to you. Someone else has dealt with it as well. That's why James tells us to confess our sins to each other so that we can be healed. There is so much healing whenever believers hold each other accountable and are able to be open and transparent in the sins that they struggle with because there's so much healing whenever you realize that you're not the only one. However, Paul says with each temptation, God will always provide a way of what? Escape. Not a way to fight it, a way to flee it. If you try to handle temptation, temptation will handle you. Or you run from it, you flee it, you avoid it. Like Joseph leaving his jacket in Potiphar's wife's hands, that we talked about a few weeks ago. Paul says, take heed lest you fall. He's saying, don't think you're too strong to mess up. Don't think you've gone too high that you can't fall. Christians can be very good at turning their noses up at other Christians who have fallen or have had some certain sins that have been exposed. However, we would be much more gracious if we took the time to really look at the temptations in our hearts that God has so graciously allowed us to escape thus far. We have to stay on guard and prepared for temptation because only God, you, and the devil know the specific temptations that you are most susceptible to. And if we get caught up putting ourselves on a pedestal because by the grace of God, we haven't fallen yet, it's going to be a much slipperier slope and a much longer and harder fall whenever we get all high and mighty and let our guard down. Now, one of my pastors, Jeremy Peeler, I remember listening to a sermon that he shared one time. And in that, he was talking about how he and his wife, Ashley, they had, um, they had come across, they had a couple friend where the husband had gotten caught in an affair. And Ashley said to him after, when they were on their way home, after trying to help them through that, Ashley said, if anyone ever told me you had an affair, I'd just laugh at him because there's no way you'd ever do that. And Jeremy very lovingly said, don't ever say that. He said, don't ever think I'm above it. Because as soon as we think that I'm above it, that's when I'll be the most susceptible to fall. You see, spiritual strength and spiritual growth isn't about never making mistakes. It's about understanding your weaknesses, depending on God, and disciplining yourself enough to avoid the possible pitfalls. 
That's why a big part of self-control is self-awareness. So we need to be prepared, but we also need to be self-aware. Because it's nearly impossible to have self-control without self-awareness. Because you can't work on something that you are not aware of. And self-awareness now is not a countercultural thing. Now, this generation actually loves self-awareness. We love the self-improvement. You know, we, we love all the Enneagram tests, the, the personality assessments, and the which character are, are, are you quizzes, you know, on social media, all that jazz. We love it. But when the rest of the world uses it for self-elevation, we as Christians are supposed to use it to elevate others. See, for a very long time, you know, uh, personality test was like a four letter word to me. I could not stand the personality test because so often I would just see people use it as a tool for manipulation. They would peg somebody as a certain personality and then they would craft their words and everything carefully, try to get another person to do what they wanted them to do. And if not for, for manipulation, you know, they would use it as an excuse. They say, oh, well, I'm an Enneagram too, so that's just the way I am. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've seen or heard somebody completely tear another person apart with their words and then say, well, that's just who I am. I'm a straight shooter. I tell it like it is. Now, I appreciate bluntness more than 99% of Southerners, okay? But I have absolutely no patience for that sort of selfish mentality because that is not about making other people feel valued. That is not about being gentle, kind, loving, or exhibiting self-control or really, really any of the fruit of the Spirit. And that should bother any person that's carrying the Holy Spirit inside of them. Paul said in Ephesians 4:29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, this passage isn't just about not cussing, okay? This is about not cutting other people down with your words. This is about using what you say in order to build up, not beat up. And James, he also lets us know how valuable and how important exercising self-control with our words is. When he says in James chapter 3, we all stumble in many ways, but anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. He said, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing my brothers and sisters. This should not be. See, this is why we should put in the work to know your personality, to know how you are wired, your temperamental tendencies, so that you can better understand what you are prone to say and how you are prone to say it. And then you can make the proper adjustments and work on it so you can learn how to best build others up according to their needs so it will benefit them. Take the five, anyone familiar with the five love languages? Gary Chapman's study on the five love languages. Okay, there's about four of us in here. Um, but you don't take Gary Chapman's assessment of the five love languages just to find out what your love language is. No, you do it more so, so you can find out what the love languages are for the people that you love, and you can learn to better speak their languages and realize which ones you've been coming up short on for them. Not for you, for them. 
Now see, Kathleen Eidelman, she did an assessment called I Said This, You Heard That. And this is gonna be a resource I wanna send everybody home with today. Back on our giving table, there are these score sheets. There's a QR code that you can take the assessment for it, and this is a score sheet. So this will be a fun activity. It says bride and groom on there because this is what I take every couple I do premarital counseling with. This is what we do on the very first session. And it's 40 questions, and I make the couple take them together, and they have to agree on each answer for each other before they move on. And if they don't agree, tiebreaker goes to the significant other. <laughs> no, so it forces them to be very honest and be able to answer it, not just um, for how they want to be. You know, Because I really think when you take assessments like this, the most accurate results you'll get is if you have the three closest people to you take it for you, and you actually not even take it. But a lot of people don't want to do that. So um, these score sheets are on the back. So make sure you take one of these home. And uh, so you can go through. It'll be a fun activity to do with your family or with your friends. But I love this specific assessment because it's not a personality test. This is a temperament assessment. And your temperament is your innate wiring from God. It's different from your personality because your personality changes throughout the course of your life. Your personality is more of a byproduct of the company you keep, the stage of life you're in, and your life experience. I don't have the same personality right now that I did back in high school. Yeah, if I did, that would be very weird. You probably wouldn't want me as your pastor. <laughs> you know? Your personality develops, it grows, it changes, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worst. But your temperament never changes. And Kathleen Eidemann, she takes the four temperaments of caloric, sanguine, phlegmatic, and melancholy, and she puts them into the colors of red, yellow, green, and blue. Now, my primary temperament is caloric, so my color is red. So knowing that about myself, that means I'm prone to speak the language of power and control. It will break down all of them for you whenever you take the assessment at the end of it. Okay? So there are pros and cons to having that specific temperament for me. There are some pros to it, which leads me to be naturally decisive, responsible, helps me be good at managing projects and tasks and people and things like that. However, there are cons to my temperament as well. That leads me to be domineering. I can be bossy, I can be impatient, and I can be very harsh with my tone. And it took me entirely way too long in my life to realize that about myself. Now, last week, if you were here, I mentioned that there was a time after I had transitioned out of student ministry and then Avery uh, Woods had taken over. I'm a big fan of Avery. She's one of my favorite communicators of God's word, and she's awesome at what she does. But I inserted myself to help in a situation where my help was not asked for. And I walked in and said, hey, you need to do this, 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 and this, and everything will be good. And I walked out and realized I wasn't helpful at all. And I had to go in and we had to have a real conversation about how we could best communicate and where I could be helpful. And in that conversation, I realized some areas that I was very weak in communicating with people like this and how I could get better. And I realized that whenever I'm in a brainstorming session, my face and my intentions normally are not speaking the same language or saying the same thing. And see, now I'm the type of person that's okay with being wrong, okay? I really am. If I have a bad idea, I'm okay if it's a bad idea. I just have to say it out loud. I can throw out 100 ideas. If we throw away 99 of them, that's perfectly fine. I'm just an external processor. I have to say them all out loud. However, most people don't know that about me because my face doesn't say the same thing. I'm throwing out an idea, right? Now, in my heart, in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, here's an idea. This is a conversation, everyone, right? But my face says, this is the way it's going to be, and you better get on board. <laughs> now, I needed to realize that about myself 
so I can work on it, right? So I can work. I can't tell you how many times Cassie Dills would have to text me during a staff meeting saying, Kenny, fix your face. Fix your face, right? But I have, to, I have to work on that so I can try to be better at it. But even more so, I can know that about myself so I can communicate that to others. So I can tell Jaleesa and Emma whenever we're in a staff meeting, hey, I have a tendency to do this. So whenever my face inevitably goes all dad mode, right, then you can know that that's not my heart. That's not my intentions. This is what my heart really is. And we can communicate about it. <laughs> so... Taking the time to learn these principles and learn these things about your temperament and everything, it can also be a very helpful tool in your marriage. So knowing this about myself, my temperament can also uh, help me uh, exercise a lot of self-control in my marriage as well. Because Rachel, she's primarily green. All right, so that's phlegmatic. And so she's wired to be more introverted. She thinks things through more so before speaking. She tends to avoid conflict. So knowing my tendencies, I know that whenever I'm with her, I need to slow down. I need to not be so confrontational. I need to allow her time to process, even though everything within me wants to go 100 miles per hour, I want to talk things through right away and find a fix and find a cure. I know Rachel, she needs her time and her space to think things through before we address the issue at hand. Now, I'm not saying I got this figured out. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. I hope I'm batting 300, maybe, okay? I hope. I don't even want to know what Rachel's response to that would be. <laughs> but I at least have a starting point of knowing of, what I, of how I can put the work in and how I can get better and practice self-control in this area of my life. Because that's really what we're after here. We're after effort, not perfection. And if we can put in the effort to be prepared and be more self-aware, we will be more likely to produce a greater level of the fruit of the Spirit in and through our lives. And you know, the drive and the motivation to put forth this type of effort is not going to come from us. No, we need a supernatural kick in the pants, so to speak, to get us started. And that's exactly who the Holy Spirit is and what he does for us. That's why we need to keep in step with him and follow his leading. Going back to a previous point, I am telling you, you will never be in tune with the Holy Spirit if you are not consistent with the word of God. Show me someone who was not showing the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, and I will show you someone who was not consistently feeding on the Word of God. Because Hebrews tells us that this is a living Word. That means whenever you spend consistent time in it, there is something that supernaturally takes root in our lives, and the results are undeniable. Even David spoke about this in Psalm chapter 1, whenever he wrote, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. His delight is in the law of the Lord and his word. And he meditates on it day and night. He says, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. David says, whenever we delight in the Lord and his leading and his teaching, we become like a tree. We become like a tree planted beside flowing streams. That means a tree that is firmly planted where the wind and the weather and the water cannot knock it down. He also says this tree bears its fruit in its season. That means whenever the fight comes, 
Whenever it's game day, whenever tragedy strikes, whenever we come across someone in need of compassion, whenever our faith is attacked, whenever financial hardships happen, we may take some hits, but our roots are still deep and we are still firmly planted. Pastor Tony Evans, he commentated on this passage and he said this, he says, such trees are not easily swayed. No, they hold their ground. That the tree bears its fruit in its season indicates that the blessed person is productive, maximizing his or her potential. Importantly, the fruit exists for the benefit of others. Thus, you know you are blessed when you are being a blessing. Brother and sister, you are still on this planet to bless others. The Holy Spirit wants to empower us in such a way that we can't help but bless the people around us. Whether that's loving the people who are hard to love, having joy in the midst of struggles, pursuing peace in the midst of a divided world, living in patience when everything seems to be going against you, choosing kindness towards those who don't believe like you believe, extending goodness to the people around you, walking in faithfulness when it doesn't make sense, showing gentleness with the people that God values so much, or practicing self-control to be the best you can be for the people around you. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in you so he can bless people through you. I'm telling you, if we have a church full of people who are intentionally walking out this fruit step by step, there is no telling how many ways the Lord can use this little church plant to bless our community and advance the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're here to do. That's what we're going to close out our service praying for. Everyone would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would completely fill us in a brand new way right now in this moment. I pray you would come across all of my brothers and sisters and myself in this room, Father. And I pray that you would put it, that you, give us that supernatural kick in the pants to put in the work. Father, I pray that you would begin to work on all of our hearts and our minds and those of us who have not developed those holy habits and those routines of being in your word. I pray that you would begin to put together that routine for us right now. Whether it's waking up a little bit earlier and getting in your word, whether it be the last thing we do before our heads hit the pillow at night. Father, I pray that you would develop those habits in our lives so we can be better in tune with your spirit. And I pray right now you open up all of our minds and our hearts and our spirits. And I pray that you give us an overflow of this fruit. Father, we ask you for a love. A love that only you can give. We ask you for that agape, full, complete, selfless love that you exhibited on the cross to be present in our lives. I pray you love people through us. Father, we pray for joy right now. We pray for a peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray for patience. Lord knows I'm not prone to be. Father, we pray for your kindness to be apparent in our lives. We pray for your goodness to flow into us and flow out of us. Oh, we ask for the courage to remain faithful when life gets dark, things get heavy, and the way doesn't make sense. 
Give us that bold faith to follow you no matter what. Father, with the bold faith, I pray you would also accompany that with gentleness. For those who don't believe that we believe whenever our faith comes under attack, Father, we pray for that spirit of self-control, Lord, that so that we can handle everything with gentleness and respect. Follow your example, knowing we don't have to revile in return. I pray that each and every one of our lives would be a testament of your goodness and your glory on this earth. And I pray you use us to make heaven more crowded. Thank you for who you are and who we get to be in you. Inhabit our praise here in this moment. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Would you guys stand and worship with us one more time? Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share what you heard this week, make sure and tag at hope underscore HKY on Instagram or Hope Hickory on Facebook. If you want to partner with our ministry, you can give online at hopehickory.org.